All right, so we are continuing chapter 15. So you notice um, that there's a story going on here. There's a storyline, right? Uh, last chapter, Diti uh, uh, conceived, Diti and Kasyapa conceived a child uh, at the wrong time in the wrong consciousness, or not a child, twins. They had twins, yeah. Uh, imagine the stroller size for those twins. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> they had twins, and now here in this chapter we're ca we're continuing that because the the these um, twins were so powerful, um, uh, and they had chosen right to take birth as demons rather than as devotees. Um, they were so powerful that they were create their just their presence was creating a disturbance all over the planet, all over the universe, and so. The demigods were uh, very worried and concerned, and so they approached Lord Brahma. That's what we heard last week, in great fear. And so what Lord Brahma does, he tells us, he gives the background, right? He tells a story to the demigods about how Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu came, came to be. And he tells a story about the four Kumaras traveling to Vaikuntha. <coughs> And then for some, the verses that we're going to start with today, verse 23, um, there's, in 23 to 25, there's this beautiful description about the glories of Vaikuntha. And then after that, uh, the four Kumaras are going through the seven gates, right? And they get to the seventh one. And what happens? They say, Rok, right? In Hindi, Rok, <laughs> stop. <laughs> and they're stopped by the gatekeepers. What were the gate gatekeepers' names? Jay and Vijay, yes. Uh, and so that doesn't look good. And the uh, four Kumaras exhibit some transcendental anger. And then Lord Vishnu arrives on the scene by foot, which is interesting. We'll talk about that. And uh, tries to, you know, smooth over the situation. And, the, uh, and upon his arrival, the four Kumaras offer their prayers to, to the Lord. And that ends this chapter. Okay. So as we were saying, there's kind of a break in the narrative in verses 23, 24, and 25. So uh, let's hear about that. In text 23, Lord Brahma says, it is very much regrettable that unfortunate people do not discuss the description of the Vaikuntha planets, but engage in topics which are unworthy to hear and which bewilder one's intelligence. Those who give up the topics of Vaikuntha and take to talk of the material world are thrown into the darkest region of ignorance. And uh, we might go through this uh, purport a little bit. About halfway down in the first paragraph, Prabhupada writes, how can the impersonalist and the void philosopher... Well, actually, let's read from the beginning. The most unfortunate persons are the impersonalists who cannot understand the transcendental variegatedness of the spiritual world. They are afraid to talk about the beauty of the Vaikuntha planets because they think that variegatedness must be material. Such impersonalists think that the spiritual world is completely void, or in other words, that there is no variegatedness. This mentality is described here as kukata mati how do you pronounce that? Ni. Intelligence bewildered by unworthy words. The philosophers of voidness 
and of the impersonal situation of the spiritual world are condemned here because they, uh, because they bewilder one's intelligence. How can the impersonalist and the void philosopher think of this material world, which is full of variegatedness, and then say that there is no variegatedness in the spiritual world? It is said that this material world is the perverted reflection of the spiritual world. So unless there is variegatedness in the spiritual world, how can there be temporary variegatedness in the material world? That one can transcend this material world does not imply that there is no transcendental variegatedness. So why do you think, just in general, without getting into quoting obscure passages in the Vedas, why do you think people equate spiritual world with no variegatedness? Because variegatedness brings about complexity and has to deal with uh, interpersonal uh, challenges. Uh -huh. So if there is no variety and everything is one, people mistakenly think that it is peace. Yeah, there's no problem. That's nice. Okay. Yeah, very good. So you're focused on the, the interpersonal nature of things. Yes, Mahamad They think the variegatedness is the problem uh -huh. and the cause of frustration, you know. They think that variety is a problem. Yes, Prabhu? Hare Krishna. Also, sometimes when they're exhausted, they have tried all the things and they say, okay, I'm exhausted, this is not going to satisfy. Uh, Let me just think there is one. So they give that impersonalistic uh, viewpoint. They, yeah, that. their exhaustion. They just think it would be so much easier, you know. And we, can, we spoke about this briefly some time ago, that variegatedness, you know, too much of it or... or Unnecessary, uh, you could say, is, is a cause of angst. Like, you know, I mentioned that when I grew up, I think there was like three or four varieties of sneakers. And now there's, what, 1,200, I think, something like that, the last count. You know, so when you go looking for just a pair of sneakers, running shoes, I don't know, what do they call them in England? Trainers. Trainers, okay, trainers. What do they call them in India? We don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> Butta. <laughs> um, at least earlier now there's all the brands are in India but when I first moved there was pretty much only Bata yeah right or the different the varieties of cars it's so bewildering to just buy a car now you know so in one sense you could say um, you could uh, well it actually reinforces the point that material variegatedness um, does have its downside Although we also say variety is the spice of life and, you know, things like that. But these are, these are good answers, yes, because it's just a, it's a very practical thing confirmed by somebody's ringtone. Here in the Bhagavatam, in this verse particularly, it is stressed that people who try to discuss and understand the real spiritual nature of the spiritual sky and Vaikuntas are fortunate. The variegatedness of the Vaikuntha planets is described in relation to the transcendental pastimes of the Lord. But instead of trying to understand the spiritual abode and the spiritual activities of the Lord, people are more interested in politics and economic developments. And, you know, more true now than ever before, right? The big winner of uh, the new president has been the media. 
right? They say New York Times, their subscriptions have skyrocketed and Washington Post and, you know, people are just glued, you know, what, what unbelievable thing is happening today, right? <clears throat> and people get absorbed in politics and, and here it says economic development. Uh, and even as devotees, I can uh, speak for this and maybe, maybe Janard and Prabhu can as well. Um, it's just so much easier to get distracted with the invention of the internet. Because as a devotee, when I was living in India, I never got the newspaper. And most of the newspapers in, in Vrindavan were in Hindi, so I couldn't read it anyway. So I never, I just had no idea what was going on. And fine. I knew who the president was in the United States. I might have known who the prime minister of India was. Maybe. But all the politics, you know, there was all, we were living in Uttar Pradesh. There was politics everywhere in Uttar Pradesh, right? You know. Uh, and just, you know, you really had to go out of your way. You actually had to, had to pay for a subscription to a, to a newspaper or, or, you know, and radio. I never had a radio. Oh, the only time I had got to listen to the radio was during Y2K. Because that was kind of interesting. You know, are we going to be living in the Stone Age again or not, right? So listening to, oh, and also um, 1991, the, um, the Iraqi war that we were listening to a little bit, yeah. But besides that, we didn't have a television. So it was really easy to avoid. But now, you know, yeah, well, if you don't have one of these, a computer, you at least have one of these, right, a phone. Right? So it's, it's so, hard, it's so um, more of a challenge to avoid uh, just the unnecessary comings and goings of the news. You know, knowing a little bit about what's going on, okay, that's one thing, but the, un, uh, just like, uh, I saw a cartoon the other day. What was it? Oh, yeah. A guy is sitting on his couch, and he's like this. Oh, my God. And coming out of the TV is, for the next six hours, we are, we are going to analyze the handshake between President Trump and Vladimir Putin. You know, and it's just paralysis by analysis, right? But these are the kind of distractions that Shiva Prabhupada is mentioning here, right? Instead of trying to understand the spiritual abode and the spiritual activities of the Lord, people are more interested in politics and economic development. Right? And you know that we know that famous story that Prabhupada tells about uh, the Christian preacher who comes to the mines, I guess, in some place, probably in, I would seem at least in America, it would be Pennsylvania or West Virginia, something like that. And, uh, He's describing hell, it's damp, it's dark, it's cold, and the miners are like, oh, it sounds like mine, what's the problem, right, <laughs> you know? And then, then the, the preacher is very intelligent, but there, there's no newspapers, right? It's horrible, horrible, provinces, so. So we can, you know, and the, the problem is that uh, we can be distracted from doing things like this, listening, hearing about the glories of Vaikuntha. And people can be distracted their whole lives. It's easy to, to do that, to live right up to the last moment, keeping track of the comings and goings of the news, which is just like, as Srila Prabhupada would say, the newspaper is important one day, and the next day it's being used to wrap fish, or something like that, right? Or even huge events. Uh, now they're, who talks about them? Who talks, I mean, rarely, the only time now they're talking about the impeachment of President Clinton is to compare it to present day, 
things. Otherwise, it's, it's come, it's gone, and life moves on. Yeah. They hold many conventions, meetings, and discussions to solve the problems of this worldly situation, where they can remain for only a few years. But they are not interested to understand the spiritual situation of the Vaikuntha world. If they are all fortunate, they become interested in going back home, back to Godhead. But unless they understand the spiritual world, they rot in this material darkness continuously. <clears throat> so at least it's a balance. You know, of course, even if, uh, if ISKCON had control of the world tomorrow, right, we're not going to, right, sometimes that's, that's called a straw man argument, right? If anyone comes up to you when you're, you know, out, uh, spreading the word of Krishna consciousness, and they say, uh, Raghunandan, you know, you guys are here chanting and dancing here in, at the mall downtown. What if everyone just did that? What would the world be like then? Right? So that's called a straw man argument, because that's not our argument. I've seen devotees fall for that trap. Oh, it'd be nectar, it'd be bliss, everyone would be so happy. You know, but there would be no garbage collection. People wouldn't have any food to eat, right? There'd be riots in the street, people breaking into, uh, you know. So devotees would have to run a government and have people chanting and dancing in the street, <laughs> not or. So, um, but the Prabhupada's emphasis here is that if you don't do anything that is connected with the goal of life, then shrama eva hi kevalam. It's, it's a useless waste of time. So some thoughts on this? It's a very powerful purport. Okay, then we can go on to 24, continues Lord Brahma. Lord Brahma said, uh, oh, actually it's him starting. My dear demigods, the human form of life is of such importance uh, that we also desire to have such life. So he's a demigod. He's, he lives for, you know, 311 trillion years, you know, give or take a few hundred billion. Uh, and he desires to have a human form of life. For in the human form, one can attain perfect religious truth and knowledge. If one in this human form of life does not understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead and his abode, it is to be understood that he is very much afflict, affected by the influence of the external nature. Persons whose bodily features change in ecstasy and who breathe heavily and perspire due to hearing the glories of the Lord are promoted to the kingdom of God, even though they do not care for meditation and other austerities. The kingdom of God is above the material universes and it is desired by Brahma and other demigods. So here we're hearing uh, about the glories of a human form of life. Now how often do we wake up in the morning and say, oh, thank you, Krishna, for giving me a human form of life. Right? We may forget it um, in, in our day-to-day -day life. And, but here, we're hearing Lord Brahma, the chief demigod, is basically saying it's a much better deal than having a demigod body. Right? But we, yes? By reading that particular verse, uh, by reading that verse, like, uh, I was really surprised, like, Lord Brahma is praising about human form, but, like, my understanding was this is, like, a, based upon our sin only, we are born on this, we are taking a human birth based upon our sins or based upon our karma we are we are taking the human form and uh, as long you know this this verse is like brahma is saying that even 
taking a birth in human form is much better than uh, you know uh, as a demigod uh, and like i was thinking and then like in the next verse speaks about that as long as if we don't understand the supreme lord position then like it may be the human form is a sin or like you know yeah you can misuse it easily yes but he's kind of because he's a devotee he's thinking wow what a deal right you live 90 years 80 years and you can if you you can perfect your life you don't have to wait 311 trillion 640 billion <laughs> species yeah you know yes but you're right you know we we you generally we get a human form as we progress through evolu uh, evolution so this is again quite a purport and uh since I, that's why i didn't give too much reading of too many verses because i thought we'd go kind of slowly over the ones that we are going to go over so let's go over this purport slowly um one can enter the kingdom of the supreme lord only when one is highly developed in desirable qualities that verse is kind of like the beginning of most of this purport okay you go back to god when you have desirable qualities all good qualities develop in the person of a devotee okay what verse is he paraphrasing yes yes yasti bhaktir bhagavati akinchana sarvargunas tatra samasate sura that one who is a devotee attains all the qualities of a demigod all the good qualities and harer bhaktasya koto mahagunam but if you don't then you're on the then you're on the mental platform uh people who just li basically listen to their mind all day uh and harer abaktas they're not devotees of the lord they have no good qualities and i mentioned this before but it's such an important point i think for us to keep in mind that um well two things in one place i heard prabhupad lecture where he said what is the use of their good qualities So he acknowledges that sometimes so-called non-devotees have good qualities, but if they're not used in the service of the Lord, they end at the end of this body, right? And of course, the other thing is we have to define devotee, right? Doesn't you know? And only members of ISKCON and everyone else is uh, that verse applies to. So, um, and we've mentioned this before that in the beginning, in the early days of going over the ten offenses, which are actually discussed in this purport. um probably included uh members of other religions and when he was giving his uh, initiation lectures like that it is stated in the shrimad bhagavatam fifth canto 18th chapter verse 12 that's that verse that anyone who is krishna conscious is endowed with all the good qualities of the demigods in the material world the qualities of the demigods are highly appreciated just as even in our experience the qualities of a gentleman are more highly appreciated than the qualities of a man in ignorance or in a lower condition of life the qualities of the demigod in the higher planets are far superior to the qualities of the inhabitants of this earth so you know that time shila probably was asked how will how can someone recognize your disciple and he said they will act like perfect ladies and gentlemen Brahmaji confirms herewith that only persons who have developed the desirable qualities can enter into the kingdom of God in the Chaitanya Charitamrita the devotees desirable qualities are described to be 26 in number they are stated as follows so let's go through these a little bit he is very kind so you can be thinking about yourself and how far on a 
scale of one to a hundred, where are you? A hundred means you're like totally kind. And one means uh, nobody would like to talk to you. <laughs> so uh, are you very kind? Do you not quarrel with anyone? Do you accept Krishna consciousness as the highest goal of life? Are you equal to everyone? Can no one, here's a good one, find fault in your character? Are you magnanimous? Are you mild and always clean? Internally and externally. Do you not profess to possess anything in this material world? Are you the benefactor of all living entities? <laughs> are you peaceful and are you peaceful? Are you a soul surrendered to Krishna, fully surrendered to Krishna? Do you have no material desires to fulfill? How are you doing on that one? Are you meek and humble? Are you always steady? Have you conquered the sensual activities? Are you silent in nonsense? Uh, so there's a good list of uh, qualities. Um, which one is the most important? Yeah, yeah, or uh, yeah, souls completely surrendered to Krishna or accepting Krishna. Yes, because um, it's mentioned that all that most of these, a impersonalist and a devotee can both have. Uh, or another way to look at it is that one is the Surup Lakshana, and the others are the Tatasta Lakshana. Right, so the Surup is the main one, and the Tatasta, the other ones, may or may not appear in a person at different stages in their life according to what stage they're at in Varnashram, for example, right? Um, like Rihasta may have trouble being, where is it? Uh, the thing about possessions, right? Oh, I missed some, didn't I? Sorry, I missed some. Always steady, conquered sensual. Oh, oh, here's a good one. Do you not eat more than required to maintain body and soul together? Oh, it, there's a there's a parenthesis, even when pizza is offered. <laughs> Never mad after material identity. So that means upadis, right? Our, our false uh, designations. Respectful to others and do not demand respect for ourselves. Are you, are you very grave? Are you very compassionate? So those tatasta lakshanas, they may or may not appear very strongly depending on sometimes our, our situation in life, but the swarup lakshanam is the key. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about this a lot in, in his, which book? 
No, maybe Bhajan Rahasya. Or I think it's Chaitanya Shikshamrita. But anyway, he talks about it because, uh, and I, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's such an important point that, uh, you know, I usually say, Raghunandan, you know, can you look behind you and tell me who is the most surrendered devotee of Krishna in this room? Go ahead. Everybody, <laughs> okay. See, the idea, the idea behind that, that Bhaktivinoda Thakur makes the point, it's not easy. You don't have like a, like a thermometer you can put in somebody's mouth and it says, you know, what percentage, right? So therefore he says, don't offend any devotee because you can't judge a book by its cover. You don't know, you don't know, it's an internal, very personal thing how surrendered we are to Krishna. And it's very hard to judge who is and who isn't, or what, to what degree they are. So he said, best things, be careful and don't offend any devotee. He talks about it when he talks about offending devotees, which comes up later in this purport. Okay, so we'll skip ahead then to the next paragraph. Any thoughts on the 26 qualities of a devotee? It's almost 25, so you could say each one is 4%. But I think, I think there's, that's not true. There's a hierarchy of those. Well, the hierarchy is the one I mentioned. Yeah, like yeah you mentioned one. the critical one because um, there's a quote from another scripture of um, having the semblance of godliness but denying the source thereof. Having the semblance of godliness but denying the yeah. source thereof. Because I know people that are better than me in a lot of these attributes but say they don't believe in God. So I think that's a very bad decision. Uh, if you had to pick one, you want to pick the one yeah, you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, and that comes up a little in, a, in another purport. Yes, yes, good. Yes, and the question, yes, Mama. Um, I really like this one, Prabhu. Like, he's very like tolerant. Which one? Tolerant and uh, very kind to all living entities. Tolerant and kind to all living entities. Whoever wants to enter in the kingdom of God. Yes. Uh, it's coming up like many times in the past one week, this point, yeah. and today also, so. Good. That's one of the, the um, s special treats of, uh, of going out and speaking about, and, or distributing books, or going on Harinam, or speaking to others about Krishna consciousness. Um, one learns tolerance very quickly. When somebody tells you, get a job. You know, you know, you know, or, or when we, you know, used to, there was this one practice that businessmen used to do of trying to hit us with their briefcase in the knee, you know, <laughs> when they were walking by. Because they were a little, we were a little aggressive, so I can understand that. But, um, but you know, when somebody just tells you get out of here, you know, and things like it's it's very healthy to the false ego, to the uh, the rejections, you know, like that. Because you just kind of, you know, it just has to be uh, water off a duck's back, or else you just can't do it for very long. Krishna. <laughs> yeah, so being tolerant. Um, uh, and then that one letter, Srila Prabhupada says that to be successful as a preacher, one should be tolerant and appreciate the point of view of others. That doesn't mean agree with, you know, somebody says, well, there's no God or, you know, God is impersonal. But, but just to, uh, to hear them out, 
uh, he said, is very helpful because then you, after a person feels heard, they let down their guard and they're more willing to hear what you have to say. Uh, what is it Stephen Covey says? Seek first to understand, then be understood. But we tend to do the opposite. <laughs> first take out the, you know, the bazooka and, you know, <laughs> and then if there's any time left, oh, did you have something to say? <laughs> It may be noted that there are ten offenses that there are ten offenses we should avoid. The first offense is to decry persons who try in their lives to broadcast the glories of the Lord. People must be educated to under, in understanding the glories of the Supreme. Therefore, the devotees who engage in preaching the glories of the Lord are never to be decried. It is the greatest offense. So, you know, even somebody maybe a little rough around the edges, you know, we may know some devotees who are like that. Still, we should, uh, as Prabhupada said, we should be like the um, bee looking for the honey, and then the, the fly looking for the stool. Right? And just think of the good qualities in, in a devotee. That's why it's sometimes a curse to be a manager in ISKCON because you have to sometimes look at the faults in order to correct them and to run a project properly. But if it's not our duty to do that, then we don't have to have an opinion about everybody, all the Prabhus and Prabhis. Did you want to say something or you're just holding the microphone? No. Okay. <laughs> so, that's, that, so that takes, um, I've seen this with very advanced devotees um, in uh, my personal dealings with them that uh, they, as much as somebody may be attacking them or doing something wrong, they just won't, they'll, they'll deal with the situation practically, but they just won't say anything bad about the person. <laughs> you, know, they'll, you know, they'll deal practically, um, you know. Somebody may be a devotee and they've been caught, you know, stealing money from the hundi, so you're not going to make them the treasurer of the temple, right? You may have to have some restrictions thereof, right? Um, but still, they're probably chanting Hare Krishna, and so, you know. So, um, and especially those, it says here, who are engaged in preaching the glories of the Lord. And that really means... You know, just like devotees here who are pujaris, they're also preaching the glories of the Lord. You know, the, uh, uh, I was talking to uh, my good friend Anirudu Prabhu, who's the temple president in Melbourne, Australia, and he was saying, he was saying, are you kidding, Braj? The pujaris are the most important devotees we got. They're the best preachers. They're the ones who make Krishna so beautiful. When new people come, they see how beautiful Krishna is. So, um, so it can be a broad definition of preaching the glories. Furthermore, any questions on the first, any points on the first offense? It's called the mad elephant offense. You, if you want, just on YouTube, uh, type in mad elephant, and you'll see these elephants, especially in India, just like picking up Maruti vans and throwing them and, you know, and just tossing trees around. It's just mad, right? And so the mad elephant walks into a beautiful garden and just... The garden's finished, and it's uh, it's called. How does the Sanskrit go for the first offense? Hatimata. Hatimata. No, hatimata, yeah, but also 
It has the word ninda in it. Sadhu ninda paramam aparadi vitanute. That sadhu ninda, offending devotees, is parama, the highest, the top, parama, ninda, uh, parama offense. Right? And ninda also, I mean, the one, don't take advantage of this, but ninda, the word means malice. So it really means, you know, wanting bad for another person. Right? So, you know, I mean, we shouldn't do anything, but if we might say, oh, you know, Raghunandan, he's a little spaced out sometimes. You know, that may not be the, the biggest offense in the world, because I don't mean any malice by that. As a matter of fact, I may say it as, in a loving way. He's not spaced out at all, but um, that's why I picked on him. <clears throat> but when you have ninda, when you really want bad for the other person, that's very, that's very offensive. Uh, the holy name, furthermore, the holy name of Vishnu is the most auspicious name and his pastimes are also non-different from the holy name. There are many foolish persons who say that one can chant Hare Krishna or chant the names of Kali or Durga or Shiva because they are all the same. If one thinks that the holy name of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the names and activities of the demigods are on the same level as, uh, as if one accepts, it's, I'm, trying, I'm right at the distance where I don't know to take my glasses off or not, let me take it off and go a little closer. Uh, if one thinks the holy name of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the names and activities of the demigods are on the same level, or if one accepts the holy name of Vishnu to be a material sound vibration, that is also an offense. So what do we say to consider the names of the demigods like Lord Shiva and Lord Vishnu to be equal to or independent of? So not on the same level, or that the demigods are some independent agency not connected, no. Right. So if you're the executive, if you're the you know the vice president in an organization, right, uh, say of uh, R and D, right, research and development, and you just say, the CEO, the board, to hell with them. Right. Uh, eventually, probably what's going to happen? Well, you lose your job, or you're, you you lose your funding, <laughs> which may even be worse, right? Because, you know, you have to, the CEO calls you to a meeting and says, ah, don't need that. Right? I'm in charge of R&D, right? And the other thing is R&D doesn't do anything if they, don't have a, if they don't work with the sales department, right? You may have the best, may make the best thing in the world, but if you can't distribute it and sell it to anybody, cut them. So the demigods have to, they have to cooperate with one another in order to please the boss. So the demigods are also offended or unhappy on a certain level. You know. Okay, uh, anything on that? Okay, the next offense, yeah, let's well, the third offense is to think that the, of the spiritual master who spreads the glories of the Lord as an ordinary human being. So that's similar to the first offense. The fourth offense is to consider the Vedic literature, such as the Puranas or other transcendentally revealed scriptures to be ordinary books of knowledge. And it, we also say in the Padma Purana that uh, Vedic literature or literature in pursuance of the Vedic version. So that would include the six Goswami literature. It's not literally Vedic literature in the sense that it was written 500 years ago. It wasn't written. But uh, we consider it on the same level because it's in, by, by the great Acharyas and it's in pursuance 
of the Vedic version. And Srila Prabhupada's books, of course, fit into that category as well. And the bona fide books written by devotees in ISKCON. So because, you know, we're guided by Shastra. We're meant to see the world through the eyes of Shastra. So they're so important. They're meant to be our guide, you know. And when once Prabhupada said, why do we distribute books? Because we want to distribute knowledge. They're supposed to be our source of knowledge. So you can't, you know, say poo-poo them in one hand and then in some temples, they have a very nice program where the Bhagavatam that you're studying in the morning, they put it on the altar, and then they take it off of the altar and place it on the platform in order for the person who's giving class. But it gives you that idea of how important. And even Srila Prabhupada said once that uh, the devotees on traveling Sankirtan, living in a van, asked them if they could get deities of Gordon Thai. And Prabhupada said, yes, you can, but don't you have my books? You can just put the books on an altar and offer RT to them. Like that. The fifth offense is to think that devotees have given artificial importance to the holy name of God. The actual fact is that the Lord is non different from his name. The highest realization of spiritual value is to chant the holy name of God as prescribed for this age. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So, um, yes, because there are places in the Vedas where in order to get people to do things, they kind of, the, the Acharyas say, they kind of um, exaggerate the effects a little bit, in the Karmakanda section and things like that. But this, so specifically, what they're mentioning here is that is not the case in the transcendental shastras when they're glorifying the holy name. There's no exaggeration. Because Abhinadvam uh, Nama Namino, the name and the possessor of the name are the same. Okay, the sixth offense is to give someone, is that the one I did? No, no, the seventh offense is to act sinfully on the strength of chanting the holy name of the Lord. Okay? It is to be understood that one can be freed from all sinful reactions simply by chanting the holy name of God. But if one thinks that he is therefore at liberty to commit all kinds of sinful acts, that is a symptom of offense. So the, the, the problem with this and, one, and why Srila Prabhupada would sometimes say it's such a terrible offense is because of the mentality behind it. It's a difference of being weak in spiritual life and having some fall down. That's different than saying, wow, the holy name is so powerful. I can just go out and party hardy and then I'll just pick up my beads the next day and it's all good. It's, it's, the, it's that kind of cheating mentality. It's a very different mentality than one who makes a mistake, regrets it and works on improvement. It's, it's, it's almost like, Using the holy name as, uh, you know, when you go, because um, in, in, in America, not everybody takes off their shoes at the door, right? So they have doormats, right? So you use the holy name as a doormat. You wipe your feet on it sort of figuratively, right? Uh, and you use it as a doormat, the holy name. Any thoughts on any of those? Yes. Um. Regarding the 
keeping the books, uh, scriptures in the altar. In the Detroit temple, they have a specific altar where Prabhupada's books are kept and the altar is like kept tidy and clean. And oh, nice. It's, it's, a, I, it's, it's a very rare thing to see, and, but there they have it. Yeah. Like that. yeah. Even the, uh, the Sikhs understand this, right? The Sikhs have the Guru Granth. Yeah. I was uh, working with um, a very higher up person in the, um, in the legal field in India, and he was a Sadarji. He was a Sikh. So he gave me this beautiful, um, what do they call it, Ta uh, coffee table? Uh, what we might call it, lassi table. Uh, <laughs> um, gift of, you know, just uh, illustrated Guru Granth. You know, just this beautiful, uh, really, really gorgeous. Uh, kind of like, has anyone seen uh, the Bhagavad Gita that Madhusevata Prabhu made? He made like only 20 copies. It's, it's about four feet tall and foot wide, yeah. Okay, moving on. The eighth offense is to equate the chanting of Hare Krishna with other spiritual activities such as meditation, austerity, penance, and sacrifice. They cannot be equated at any level. Again, because it's the Yuga Dharma, right? Hare Nama, Hare Nama, Hare Nama, Eva Kevalam, Kalo Nasjeva, Nasjeva, Nasjeva. Uh, the ninth offense is to specifically glorify the importance of the holy name before persons who have no interest. And that means especially kind of the intimate pastimes of the Lord. You know, you don't go up to somebody on the street and say, hey, let me tell you about the gopis and Krishna. <laughs> Got a minute? Yeah. Uh, the tenth offense is to be attached to the misconception of possessing something or to accept the body as oneself while executing the process of spiritual cultivation. So, that, so what do we say? The 10th offense is to, what do we usually say uh, in Padma Purana? To maintain material attachments, even understanding so many instructions on this matter. Right? And that's what basically what Prabhupada is saying here in very different words. So we say to maintain material attachments, even after understanding. And here it says, to be attached to the misconception of possessing something. That's also material desires, right? or to accept the body as oneself while executing the process of spiritual cultivation. And then we have kind of the 11th offense. It's also an offense to be inattentive while chanting. And that's considered the main offense or the offense that causes or brings about the others. Yeah. So when one is freed from all of these all 10 of these offenses in chanting the holy name of God. He develops the ecstatic bodily features called Pulak, Pulak, Pulakakshu. Pulakashu, thank you. Pulaka means symptoms of happiness and Ashu means tears in the eyes. The symptoms of happiness and tears in the eyes must appear in a person who has chanted the holy name offenselessly. Here Prabhupada is paraphrasing a verse from the second canto of the Bhagavatam. Here in this verse, it is stated that those who have actually developed the symptoms of happiness and tears in the eyes by chanting the glories of the Lord are eligible to enter the kingdom of God. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is said that if one does not develop these symptoms while chanting Hare Krishna, it is understood that he is still offensive. It actually says he has a steel-framed heart. Chaitanya Charitamrita suggests a nice remedy in this connection. This is like the best part of the purport. 
There it is said in verse 31, chapter 8 of Adi Lila, that if anyone takes shelter of Lord Chaitanya and just chants the holy name of the Lord, Hare Krishna, he becomes freed from all offenses. So the secret is to take shelter of Lord Chaitanya. Okay, that was a long purport. Very nice purport. Okay, any thoughts on it before we move on? Yes, Andy? Refusing to accept that you're not your body. But I mean, that wording doesn't work very well for me because I think everybody naturally assumes that they are their body. So it should be like refusing to reject uh, the idea that you are your body. Refusing? You here already it says, have. Here it says, let's see what it, it says. Uh, the tenth offense is to be attached to the misconception of possessing something or to accept the body as oneself. Yeah, but you already have it. See, it's not like you accept it. You already automatically, everybody you has have it, that. yes. Yeah. But the there's nothing wrong with saying, I, I got a material body. But to hear it saying, I to I am this body, that this is me, this, not, Isn't not that understanding the, the soul. Isn't that the default automatic feeling that every... 99.9% yes. .9 of the people have. Right, but someone who's <laughs> chanting Hare Krishna and trying to get up the offenses, you would think they've studied the scriptures yeah. and they're, they're trying to become devotees. Oh, okay. So that's the point. That, in, other words, in other words, after getting that instruction, let's yeah. go back to the other definition. Yeah. To maintain material attachments even after understanding so many instructions on this matter. So that's so that's so oh okay. That work so even yes. after even after hearing it and understanding yeah. it, you you'll still say, "Well, I'll accept it for convenience." Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then Is that's that right? an offense. Yeah. 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 It's a tricky one though because yeah. we this is the instrument we have, and we have to take care of it, um, but not to the extent of forgetting where the you know where the engine comes from. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on. We're going to read through to text 31. Thus, okay, so we're back to the story now. We had a little detour. Thus, the great sages, Sanak, Sanatan, Sananda, and Sanakumar, upon reaching the above-mentioned Vaikuntha in the spiritual world by dint of their mystic yoga performance, perceived unprecedented happiness. They found that the spiritual sky was illuminated by highly decorated airplanes piloted by the best devotees of Vaikuntha and was predominated by the Supreme Personality of God. So how do you like to have that job to be the pilot in Vaikuntha? My wife's son is a pilot. My wife's son. My wife's brother is a pilot. So she was uh, traveling on the airlines where he's a pilot uh, coming back from Ireland two days ago, and my brother-in-law knew the pilot. So he told the pilot to arrange for her to get a f seat in first class. So he <laughs> they said, are you so-and-so's brother? Yeah, so-and-so's sister? Yes? Okay, please come out. <laughs> they moved her from economy, please sit here. And then the, the, the pilot during the flight came out and spoke to her and like that. <laughs> it's good to know pilots, but better to know these pilots, right? You know, to have the to know the pilots in the spiritual world. After passing through the six entrances of Vaikuntapuri, the Lord's residence, without feeling uh, astonishment at all 
the, at all the decorations, they saw at the seventh gate two shining beings of the same age, armed with maces and adorned with most valuable jewelry, earrings, diamonds, helmets, garments, etc. Okay, so they're meeting Jai and Vijay. Why weren't they astonished by all the decorations? What? No, the decoration. Why did why were they not astonished by the decorations as they were going through the gates? They were not attracted to those. Right. They were so eager to see the Lord and to see the uh, what is it um, that Krishna is sometimes called the ornament of ornaments, right? Ornaments make people look beautiful, right? That's why you, you people have jewelry and and all those things, right? And right, but. Not in Krishna's case. He makes the ornaments look pretty. Go figure that. <laughs> Must be interesting to be a jeweler in the spiritual world. Okay, next verse, 28. The two doormen were garland, or garlanded with fresh flowers which attracted intoxicating bees and which were placed around the necks and between their four blue arms. For from their arched eyebrows, discontented nostrils, and reddish eyes, they appeared somewhat agitated. <laughs> Interesting. The story continues. The great sages headed by Sananda had open doors everywhere. They had no idea of ours and theirs. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Right? Just like if you let a child run free in, um, in Macy's, right? They don't know, they're grabbing hold to a dress that's, you know, $2,000, you know, a designer thing, or they're grabbing onto, you know, $5 t-shirts, or they're throwing them on the ground or whatever. You know, they don't think this is Macy's and this is my mom's, <laughs> right? So. They had no idea of, uh, of course, theirs was a transcendental hour in there, right? They just saw everything as Brahman and everything as uh, the Lord's energy. With open minds, they entered the seventh door out of their own will, just as they had passed through the six other doors, which were made of gold and diamonds. The four boy sages who had nothing to cover their bodies but the atmosphere. What does that mean? <laughs> Looked only five years old, even though they were the oldest of living creatures and had realized the truth of the self, right? They were the oldest because they were the first ones created by Lord Brahma, right? But when the porters, who happened to possess a disposition quite unpalatable to the Lord, saw the sages, they blocked their way with their staffs, despising their glories, although the sages did not deserve such treatment at their hands. Hmm. Now, we'll read 31. When the Kumaras, although by far the fittest persons, were thus forbidden entrance by the two chief doorkeepers of Sri Hari, while other divinities looked on, their eyes suddenly turned red because of anger due to their great eagerness to see their most beloved master, Sri Hari, the, uh, 
personality of Godhead. So in the purport, Prabhupada talks about anger, right? And will this in the next purport, is it? Yes, in this purport. In this verse, it is figuratively stated that the younger brother of desire suddenly appeared in person when the sages were forbidden to see their most beloved personality of God. So when you're reading this, you're trying to think, the younger brother of desire, who's that? The younger brother of desire is anger. If one's desire is not fulfilled, the younger brother anger follows. Isn't that right? Krishna says, kama esha, krodha esha. Raja Guna right? If, if your desires, kama, are not fulfilled, then comes crowed, anger. Here we can mark that even great saintly persons like the Kumaras were also angry, but they were not angry for their personal interests. They were angry because they were forbidden to enter the palace to see the personality of God. Therefore, the theory that in the perfectional stage one should not have anger is not supported in this verse. So here's an example of transcendental anger. This took place in India. During the kirtan, one of the members of the Gita Bhavan gestured to the, gestured to the devotees to jump down into the crowd as they had done on the preceding night. But what had been a spontaneous event the night before could not be artificially staged simply as a crowd pleaser. The man, however, was insistent. He came forward to the edge of the stage, reached up and began grabbing at the feet of the dancing devotees, trying to pull them into the audience. The devotees became annoyed. Grabbing indiscriminately, the man pulled at one of the woman's saris. Srila Prabhupada was also dancing, but when he saw this, he rushed to the edge of the stage, swinging his kartals towards the man's face and shouting, stop this. The man retreated and Prabhupada and his disciples continued their kirtan. Although little noticed by the crowd, Prabhupada's burst of lion-like ferocity had amazed his disciples. So was Prabhupada showing mundane anger? Oh, right. There's another one in the, I think it's also in the um, Lilamrita where Prabhupada's getting angry at somebody, especially Mayavadis, and somebody says, you know, Swamiji, where is your Samadarshina? You know, equal vision, where's your Samadarshina? And Prabhupada, I'm paraphrasing now, he said, my Samadarshina is this, you're a nonsense. <laughs> you know? So, appropriate anger, as it says here, uh, therefore the theory that in the perfectional stage one should not have anger is not supported in this verse. The difference is, and this is a very big difference, is that when we are angry, we're often carried away by the mode of passion. And when Srila Prabhupada would get angry, he was, it was only in the service of the Lord. And I know several devotees who were his servants who confirmed this. They could see times when Prabhupada would, might get very angry at a devotee. And they would leave the room and immediately Prabhupada was just back to himself. You know, back to him. For us, we need time to chill. We need someone to do some empathic listening. Or I, 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 in, my, I in my work in, with non-devotee, with not, not Niskan, 
um, I sometimes take out a flip chart and say, okay, what do, you what do you do to calm other people down? Or what do you do to calm yourself down? And people say they listen to music, or they, uh, some people are honest and they say they drink, you know, or go shopping, or count to 10, or whatever. But Srila Prabhupada didn't have to do anything because he wasn't affected by the mode of passion. And that happened too. So anger is there. And it's also, you know, in the uh, seven, uh, right, the five main um, bhavas, right, uh, of a devotee, and then the seven, what are they called? Rasas, yeah, rasas. But the seven are called indirect or secondary? secondary? Yeah, secondary, right. Uh, a little later in the purport, Prabhupada writes, although the Kumaras were already liberated persons, they nevertheless became angry. This point is very important. Becoming liberated does not necessitate losing one's sensual activities. Sense activities continue even in the liberated stage. The difference is, however, that sense activities in liberation are accepted only in connection with Krishna consciousness, whereas sense activities in the conditioned stage are enacted for personal sense gravity. Any thoughts on anger? I have a question. Vaikuntha planet that's being this taught. What? This Vaikuntha planet Vaikuntha. Where, where they are visit the Kumaras are visiting, is it within the realm of the material world where Lord Vishnu has his abode? Because the, by dint of their mystical power, it says the four Kumaras reach that abode. And our understanding is like by any kinds of these uh, mystical powers, we cannot go to the spiritual world. I've never read anything that mentions that. It might make sense, but I have, I'd have to see if there's any comments in the previous acharyas about that. Um, yeah, it's not like, what is it Led Zeppelin said you can, and he's buying a stairway to heaven. You can't do that. Uh, of course, this is all or its pastimes. That's one thing. And these are the sons of Brahma. They're not like you know uh, ordinary human beings. They're fully realized. But as you're mentioning, as we're going to learn in a few verses, they are they still have impersonal tendencies, right? Until uh, not Mayavad, but impersonal. Um, but I've never. I, it's an interesting speculation, but I've never read that. Only by Kunta Planet. That's a nice question, actually. What's that? Nice observation. Yeah, you ask your groomer, she'd probably know that kind of detail. <laughs> okay, anything else about anger? Did it say that undesirable qualities? Do they say, yes, it did say that. That's also, I, why, how can they be in the spiritual world? Yes, this, uh, disposition. But when the porters, who happen to possess a disposition quite unpalatable to the Lord, they block their ways. Let's see if we can look at the Sanskrit, what the words are. Uh, well, Yes, there it is. Bhagavat 
Pratikula. Pratikula. We know what that means. Pratikula, right? Anukula means favorable. Pratikula means unfavorable. Right? Silao. Having a nature displeasing to the Lord. Well, that, of course, brings up the question that we're going to tackle a little bit in some subsequent chapters about how to, can you fall from Vaikuntha. Right? Which we're not going to talk about now. But all the previous verses, Brahma uh, is describing about kingdom of Godhead, purely about spiritual. Everything is spiritual. It's not at all material. Right. That's what the Prabhupada's purpose yes. is speaking consistently. Right. In the case, everything is spiritual, and then how come Jayavidya becomes... Well, you know, we, we can, it's, in one sense, it's easy to explain because the Lord wanted to fight. Yeah, he wanted to have a good fight. So he picked two of his devotees to exhibit these qualities, uh, be, become Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyakshan, give him a good little, you know, give him a good s slashing. Wait, wait, microphone. A little technical, Prabhu. So uh, the birth is because of the karma, right? Like we are taking birth because of the karma. Generally. Yeah. And uh, in this particular Jayavijaya's case, that they are in the spiritual world and uh, they are coming to Diti's womb. As, right. So because they are coming to Diti's womb and she's holding it for, uh, you know, 100 years, the whole universe uh, like is getting affected by it. all the devatas are like worried so much because of this problem so such a spiritual soul coming to an earth because of this curse and they become such a demonic uh, influence to that soul and how that influence is happening and what is that karma acts on that soul where do you think they get their power from that's what <laughs> ask Prahlad Maharaj right they're getting their, obviously they're getting their power from Krishna, right? Otherwise they couldn't have such incredible power. I mean, the demigods were afraid. So we're clearly reading the pastimes of the Lord here. And ultimately we're going to hear about the appearance of Prahlad. So Prahlad's not, we can see, in one sense you could say, look at all the trouble the Lord went to to glorify Prahlad. So we can see how important Prahlad Maharaj's. Lord Chaitanya used to love reading the pastimes of Prahlad Maharaj. Thank you, Prabhupada. Yeah. So in the Vaikuntha, where are we? We're on 33, right? Is that right? In the Vaikuntha world, there is complete harmony between the residence and the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Oh. Okay. I skipped one. The sages said, who are these two persons who have developed such a discordant mentality even though they are posted in the service of the Lord in the highest position and are expected to have developed the same qualities of the Lord? How are these two persons living in Vaikuntha? They had the same question you had. Same question Prabhuji had. <laughs> Where is the possibility of an enemy's coming into this kingdom of God? The Supreme Personality of God it has no enemy. Who could be envious of him? Probably these two persons are imposters. Therefore, they suspect others to be like themselves. That is a very important point, right? Atmavan manyate jagat, right? We think one way, 
and we think the world should think the same way, right? Um, that is, uh, yeah, that is, uh, so there, you know, here it says, right, these two imposters, therefore, they suspect others. So it's, you know, and you can notice that if you're a good fault finder, if you can find fault in another person, another devotee, it's often, not always, but often because you possess that fault, so you recognize it in somebody else. What? I haven't heard that. You, uh, say that into a microphone. Yeah. Hold your mic like this up. This is the Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's phrase, bro. What does it say? What is it? If you are able to find faults in others, it means your heart is honeycombed with the same fault. The same fault. Okay. Mm -hmm. Honeycombed. There's a song in the 50s, right? Honeycomb? Very good. Uh, and Prabhupada writes in the purport, just one sentence. It has been analyzed by great personalities that when a conditioned soul is liberated and becomes a devotee, about 79% of all the good qualities of the Lord develop in his person. So does anyone know why 79%? Right, right. It's 56 over 64. The reason is those other qualities are preserved for uh, Vishnu and then four more for Krishna, exclusively for Krishna. That's how you got it. Otherwise, you might read this thing. How did he get 79%? Yeah. Okay, I just thought I'd mention that in case you didn't know where the 79% comes from. In the Vaikuntha world, there is complete harmony between the residents and the Supreme Personality of Godhead, just as there is complete harmony within space between the big and the small skies. Why is there a seed of fear in this field of harmony? These two persons are dressed like inhabitants of Vaikuntha, but where from can their disharmony come into existence? Okay, carrying on. Oh, um, I was going to read a little bit, even though I don't think I assigned this to you, the last two paragraphs. There is no cause for the politics of divide and rule in the Vaikuntha planets. There is no fear because of the united interest of the Lord and the residents. Maya means disharmony between the living entities and the Supreme Lord. And Vaikuntha means harmony between them. Actually, all living entities are provided for and maintained by the Lord because he is a supreme living entity. But foolish creatures, although actually under the control of the supreme living entity, defy his existence, and that state is called maya. So it's not very grateful if, you know, if you, you're just like, how do parents feel? If you fed them and clothed them and educated them and everything and then you go away and do your own thing when you're 19 or 20, like I did. But I became a devotee, but any, or tried to become a devotee. Um, but anyway, you know, it's, it's a very lack of gratitude, right? So that's one of the points here, that you know, the Krishna's providing for all of us, and you know, we're pretty ungrateful uh, often. And uh, so the, the Adi disharmony, right? Like we have a disharmony um, that was one of your reasons for, um, what was it, what was that, when I was asking for disharmony uh, earlier? Oh, one of the reasons that, oh, 
but yeah, variegatedness. Yeah, thank you. Um, but the the Adi disharmony, the original disharmony, is between us and Krishna, and then everything else kind of flows from that. Primordial. So it's a, yes, a primordial or existential disharmony. Yes, or primordial disharmony. Right. Then the next paragraph, harmony or disharmony is realized because of the law and order of a particular place. Mm -hmm. So you read that and you might think, oh, so we have to follow all the rules, all the laws, right? So we have to keep reading. Religion is the law and order of the Supreme Lord. Then we think, oh boy, okay. That sounds almost Jewish, right? Yeah, the <laughs> Jews follow very much the religion of rules. Uh, and the bhakti is in following the rules, which is, makes sense. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, we find that religion means devotional service. Ah, okay. That, that, that helps. Or Krishna consciousness. Krishna says, give up all other religious principles. All those things in the last sentence we thought were religious, right? And simply become a soul surrendered unto me. That is religion. Because it's interesting, you know, a lot of people, especially especially millennials in America, uh, identify themselves as spiritual, not religious, right? That means they believe in some higher power, but they don't, they, they've lost a lot of trust in organized religion. Right. So here, Prabhupada is, so, you know, it's just term, really, it's just terminology. I mean, in other words, here, Prabhupada's using religion one way, you could use the word spiritual, you know. When one is fully Krishna conscious, uh, fully conscious that Krishna is the supreme enjoyer and the supreme, and one acts accordingly, that is real religion. Anything which goes against this principle is not religion. And then Prabhupada writes at the end, if the members of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, putting faith in Krishna as the center, live, live in harmony according to the order and principles of Bhagavad Gita, then they are living in Vaikuntha, not in the material world. So we're meant to get along with each other. You know, we may have differences of opinions about this and that, uh, but we have to learn the art of uh, attacking the problem and not the person. Can we just talk about that? Right? That's what, uh, so we can have different opinions of things, but we don't, uh, but we like, like in the, Battle of Kurukshetra, at the end of the day, we can go and take prasadam together and have kirtan and chant Hare Krishna. Right. So any thoughts on this about um, uh, harmony and disharmony? Yes, Madhuji, uh, wait for the microphone. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. So I was... Um when you were going through these uh, nice uh, descriptions of plant from the beginning of the chapter till uh -huh. now, when you recently read about state of harmony and disharmony. And I'm thinking of a quote, I'm not sure who said that, but we are all spiritual beings going through human experience. Right. At the same time, seems like, uh, even though there is uh, nicely described in Bhagavatam, how the spiritual... Uh, world is different than material world yet like you just said right. that we one could be in uh, vaikuntha uh, seems like it's a state it's a state in which one behaves like which was just described 
being engaged in service of Krishna, living in harmony, free from disharmony. So basically, uh-huh. you know, one could be in material plane, yet be experiencing Vaikuntha. Yes, yes, that's Because right. of the activities yes. they engage in. Yes, by the way, I just looked it up. Yeah, we are not, oh, wait, wait. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Yeah. Who said that? Pierre, how do you pronounce this? Thielhard de Chardin. Anyone know? <laughs> Sounds like a, uh, a clothes designer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, text 34. Yes, microphone. Probably the correlation between harmony and uh, variegatedness. Ah, okay. Um, see, in spiritual world, there is is full of variegatedness yeah. and harmony. Uh, is this because they accept the variegatedness, uh, whereas in material world, uh, that is causing the problem, either my way or highway. Uh, well, they accept the variegatedness. It actually goes back to the Sunday open house class last week um, about inconceivably simultaneously one and different. Mm-hmm. So they accept the variegatedness, but not the oneness, meaning that everyone's focused on pleasing the Lord. Yeah, the center point yeah. is not their sense of gratification. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so the my so a impersonal or a mayavadi wants to accept the oneness, but not the variegatedness. And the real nectar is in the oneness and the variegatedness Very combined. Yeah. That's really where the, where the fun is. Uh, or as we mentioned last week, uh, and we, it was mentioned earlier in one of the purports that I read, that Prabhupada says that the pure devotee is one with the Lord in interest. So having that one interest, uh, same interest as the Lord. And then... And then if you're connected with Krishna, then you're connected to all that variegatedness, Vrindavan and, and the flowers and the cows, and, right? Has, how many of you have seen the two new cows? Acha. They came uh, yesterday morning. We had really nice, they're beautiful. One is called Gita and one is called Vani. Vani. Gita's the smaller one, Vani's the bigger one. And they're born in September and October. And uh, I tell you, when you go back there, you just feel like you're in Vrindavan now. <laughs> the cows are there. It's so nice. And no one can feed them, by the way. They're not allowed to eat anything from outside for the next three or four months. They're still growing. So no one can feed them. We're thinking that maybe we'll have little things of, uh, that, of hay that we can, you know, maybe everyone give a dollar or something and feed them or something like that. But, uh, but no carrots, no halava, no puris. We give the cows the absolute worst things. But they're really, really beautiful. And one of the neat things also that happened was the people who were bringing the cows yesterday, um, they have a farm near uh, Frederick or a little further out than there. And um, Hitesh Patel, he's one who sponsored one of the, the cows. Um, these, he's a doctor. And the, these people have been his patient for like 10 years. So he, they, he didn't know that they knew each other, you know, they were bringing the cows, so that was kind of neat. 
So they're very beautiful cows. Too nice. So yes, well, oneness and difference, inconceivable, achincha beta, abeda tattva, is such a wonderful philosophy. Therefore, let us consider how these two contaminated persons should be punished. The punishment should be apt, for thus, uh, for thus benefit can eventually be bestowed upon them. So you see, even when cursing, they're devotees, so they ultimately want benefit. Since they find duality in the existence of Aikunta life, they are contaminated and should be removed from this place to the material world where the living entities have three kinds of enemies. When the doormen of Vaikuntha Loka, who were certainly devotees of the Lord, so they're still devotees, found that they were going to be cursed by the brahmanas, they at once became very much afraid and fell down at the feet of the brahmanas in great anxiety, for a brahmana's curse cannot be counteracted by any kind of weapon. Krishna keeps the word of the brahmanas, so when a brahma curses, watch out. You know. So don't curse people, all you brahmanas out there. Don't uh, curse people capriciously. Better have a good reason. After being cursed by the sages, the doorman said, it is quite apt that you have punished us for neglecting to respect sages like, like you. But we pray that due to your compassion at our repentance, the illusion of forgetting the Supreme Personality of God, it will not come upon us as we go progressively downward. And in the purport, Prabhupada talks about how this is the real fear of a devotee, forgetting Krishna. So again, we can think about our own lives, how much is that our fear, or how much are other things our fear? 37. At that very moment, the Lord, who is called Padmanab, because of the lotus grown from his navel, and who is the delight of the righteous, learned, uh, learned about the insult offered by his own servants to the saints. Accompanied by his spouse, the goddess of fortune, he went to the spot on those very feet sought by recluses and great sages. And the, uh, the, the uh, previous commentaries, they think it's very significant that he, he ran there, basically, it says, instead of going on Garuda. They think it's very significant that he came there on foot and not on his, uh, his carrier, Garuda. So he hastily went there. He's like, Okay, whoa. The sages headed by Sanaka Rishi saw the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vishnu, who was formerly visible only within their heart in ecstatic trance, but now actually became visible to their eyes. As he came forward, accompanied by his associates, bearing all paraphernalia, such as an umbrella and a chamra fan, the white bunches of hair moved uh, very gently, like two swans. And due to their favorable breeze, the pearls garlanding the umbrella also moved, like drops of nectar falling from the white full moon or ice melting due to a gust of wind. So even the, the umbrellas had, could you imagine, you know, because you know, in, uh, in D.C., downtown, when it starts raining, the, the vendors come out and, and sell umbrellas, right? I guess in England they'd be out every day then. Uh, but, you know, so they're like, like eight or ten bucks. You know, they, try, they, they raise the price a little bit because people want the umbrella right away, right? But imagine if they were decorated with real pearls and <laughs> it costs a little bit more than eight or ten dollars. Text 40. No, 39. Thank you. 
The Lord is the reservoir of all pleasure. His auspicious presence is meant for everyone's benediction. And his affectionate smile and glancing touch, uh, and glancing touch the core of the heart. The Lord's beautiful bodily color is blackish, and his broad chest is the resting place of the goddess of fortune, who, glorif who glorifies the entire spiritual world, the summit of all heavenly planets. Thus, it appeared that the Lord was personally spreading the beauty and good fortune of the spiritual world. He was adorned with a girdle that shone brightly on the yellow cloth covering his large hips, and he wore a garland of fresh flowers, which was distinguished by hummingbees. His loving wrists were, were, were graced with bracelets, and he rested one of his hands on the shoulder of Garuda, his carrier, and twirled a lotus with another hand. His countenance was distinguished by cheeks that enhanced the beauty of his alligator-shaped pendants, which outshone lightning. His nose was prominent and his head was covered with a gem-studded crown. A charming necklace hung between his stout arms and his neck was adorned with a gem known by the name Koshtuba. The exquisite, the exquisite beauty of Narayan, being many times magnified by the intelligence of his devotees, was so attractive that it defeated the pride of the goddess of fortune in being the most beautiful. My dear demigods, the Lord who thus manifests himself is worshipped by me, by Lord Shiva, and by all of you. The sages regarded him with unsatiated eyes and joyously bowed their heads at his lotus feet. In the purport, Prabhupada glorifies Srimati Radharani. And he says, in the words of Vaishnava poets, it is said that the Lord's beauty is so enchanting that it defeats hundreds of thousands of cupids. He is therefore called Madana Mohana. Right? It is also described that the Lord sometimes becomes mad after the beauty of Radharani. Poets describe that under those circumstances, although, the Lord, although Lord Krishna is Madana Mohana, he becomes Madana Daha, or enchanted by the beauty of Radharani. Actually, the Lord's beauty is super excellent, surpassing even the beauty of Lakshmi and Vaikuntha. The devotees of the Lord in Vaikuntha planets want to see the Lord as the most beautiful, but the devotees in Golok Gokula, or Krishna Loka, want to see Radharani as more beautiful than Krishna. That's a bit of esoteric. So let's see. It is time. We didn't finish this chapter, but we almost did. And then we will carry on and likely do all of chapter 16 next week. So thank you very much. Now there is a transcendental japa session, meditation session. And thank you. Hare Krishna.